Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, baby, that brown liquor make my heart go quicker. Welcome to the Leisure Class. I'm your host, Jack Song, a podcast dedicated to turning you on to the good stuff, a gathering place for the many kindred spirits I am grateful to call friends, musicians, writers, artists, chefs, cocktail wizards, and wine geeks, all members of the leisure class. I really enjoy surrounding myself with interesting and fun people. And over the years, I've been fortunate enough to travel a lot. First with the tour, Dire Straits was the Brothers in Arms, Money for Nothing era. And yeah, that's me in the long red coat at Live Aid. (laughs) So if you've seen that, you've seen me, even though it was a while ago. And in the meantime, since then, I've had a couple of different careers lived a bunch of different places. I was a marketing executive for about 20 years while I was single dad raising my twin daughters. And after that, I kind of walked away from the corporate world and went back to being a starving artist because that's what makes me happy. Not the starving part, but the artist part. I was a writer in residence and house manager for a literary arts center on Martha's Vineyard for about five years, where I got to meet all kinds of writers, published, famous, not so famous. But it was a real education and helped me get my manuscript for my novel underway. And during that time... I was doing a bunch of road trips cross-country because we would close down the art center on Martha's Vineyard because the winters are just too much to deal with. And on one of those trips, driven by my passion for southern food, I drove up the Delta and came to a little town called Oxford, Mississippi all because of a chef I had been reading about named John Currents. He is a James Beard Award winner and had four restaurants in this town on my first visit. I ate at all four of them. Didn't get a chance to meet John. But that started my romance with Oxford and Mississippi. 
And after three years of coming down and visiting and hanging out and meeting people and discovering what a unique place it was, I moved here to a little town just south of Oxford called Taylor, Mississippi. The teeming metropolis with a population of 343 people plus me now. <laughs> So this guitar that I'm messing with right now has been my number one electric guitar since 1983. And if you have seen any of the Dire Straits videos from that time period, you'll have seen this guitar. It's a seafoam green, custom built from a company called Schechter. But I've had a lot of other work done to it. It's got some Seymour Duncan pickups in it. It's just a fun axe. To play. Gotta tell you, man. It's never let me down. As a matter of fact, I have a tattoo of it on my shoulder. And, you know, my journey in music, I started playing when I was about 14. Saw the Beatles. Wanted to become John Lennon. Not just... Be, be a musician. I was like, I want to be John Lennon. Um, figured that was a great life. And that started and is the reason that I call the podcast The Leisure Class. When I got into music and watched The Beatles and The Stones and Jimi Hendrix and, you know, all of those amazing artists from that time period when I was growing up, I was like, man, that's what I want to do. I don't want to work. I want to become a member of the leisure class and just do what I love doing. And that is playing guitar, getting together with good people. I've been fortunate to have met all kinds of talented, interesting people around the globe because of this guitar. And it's kind of wild that I ended up in Mississippi because all of the music that has influenced my life and that I have a passion for comes from what we call the Mojo Triangle. And if you draw a line from New Orleans up to Memphis, which goes straight up the Delta and across to Nashville and back down to New Orleans, I guarantee you that probably 99% of the music that influenced my life and probably most of yours and has influenced pop music since the early 20s probably with the jazz that came out of New Orleans. Every artist that you can think of was born in this area. And so it's it's got a great heritage and I'm really happy to be walking around in such high cotton. One of the things that I learned being here in the North Mississippi Hill Country now, I was very familiar with Delta Blues as I think most people are, but there's a bunch of different strains of the blues. And the North Mississippi Hill Country has its own style of blues. That kind of boogie beat, long groove, single chord thing really was born up here in the juke joints. The names Robert Johnson, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf. Muddy and Howlin' Wolf moved north to Chicago during the great immigration out of the South and started electric blues. The Hill Country musicians 
uh, Junior Kimbrough, R.L. Burnside, the entire Burnside family remained in the North Hill country. While most Delta Blues is a three-chord structure for a song, North Mississippi Hill Country music can generally be one guitar and a drummer and one chord played for a long groove to get people dancing and having a good time. It really turns into a sort of trance. A real hypnotic thing that just lays down a groove and people will dance to it all night long. In future episodes, we're going to be celebrating everything from this area. The food, the music, the brown liquors, and the cocktails. It's a pretty magical place. Everything from New Orleans to Memphis to Nashville. What we call, like I said, it's the Mojo Triangle. And believe me, the Mojo is strong here. I came here for the first time so many years ago, stayed Four days, next time, two weeks, time after that, three months. And then I finally moved here. It's got something real. When people ask me why Mississippi, Jack, I often point to the fact that I now live in a place where I get to spend time with people like my two guests, who I am honored and humbled to call friends. Two artists who are recognized as the best in their chosen art. We talk with author Curtis Wilkie about Mississippi and Southern culture. A little after that, we talk to Vish Bott, James Beard award-winning executive chef here in Oxford, Mississippi. Then we're going to round things out with my pal Brad Johnson for a segment we call Shake It Up. That's all coming up right here on The Leisure Class. I'm Jack Sonny. Don't go anywhere. I am proud to have as my first guest the award-winning journalist Curtis Wilkie. We would go out from our concert and into streets of Memphis waiting to go in for their concert for hundreds of blacks. And we all said, God, we'd much rather go to this concert. We know it'll be better than the one we heard. Born in Greenville, Mississippi, Mr. Wilkie received his degree in journalism from the University of Mississippi, known as Ole Miss. He was in attendance in 1962 and witnessed the campus riots following the admittance of the segregated university's first African-American student, James Meredith. He covered eight presidential campaigns and is one of the famed boys on the bus following the 1972 presidential campaign trail, along with Tim Krause, Thomas Oliphant, and the very notorious Hunter S. Thompson. Oh, the stories he tells. He is the author of six books, all I highly recommend for their great writing and their remarkable insights into the mystery that is the South and specifically Mississippi. Curtis, welcome to the leisure class. Always good to talk to you, Jack. So, you know, one of the questions that I get asked, I used to get asked all the time, what was it like to be a rock star? And everybody wanted to know, you know, was it really all that? But the question that I get now from almost everybody that finds out where I live now is, why Mississippi? And I guess the question I have for you is, you're from here, you were born and raised, 
and you left, swearing you weren't going to come back. Yeah, I, I left in 69. Uh, the 60s were a very troubled time in Mississippi, uh, a former period in my life. I mm-hmm. was in my 20s. I left very angry with the state and swore I'd never come back. I remember driving my family across the state line on my way to Washington and uh, shouting, uh, <laughs> free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, free at last, the words from uh, Martin King in yeah. his famous 1963 uh, I Have a Dream speech. Right. I didn't come back for years and years except to visit family. And 30 years or so later, I did come back. And I think I was drawn in part because I am from here. I never denied that I was from Mississippi. I was always happy to say I'm from Mississippi. I never obviously lost my accent (laughs) all those years in Boston. The place has a hold on me. And for any number of reasons, some of them are musical, some of them are literature, some of them are just the drama of having lived here in the, in the 60s, yeah. covering the civil rights movement as a young man. You were here during, you know, one of the most explosive times and worst times, you know, to be here. You were a student at Old Miss when James Meredith was admitted, and you were present for the riots that happened there and the stories that you've told me about that and you've written about it, it's almost unbelievable, you know, that, that it happened on a university campus, the national guard were brought in and that it wasn't that long ago. That's the other piece of it for me is that, you know, it's your living Testament to it and your work covering the civil rights movement, out of Clarksdale, right? Originally, I think yeah. you said, yeah. You know, um, Clarksdale, of course, is uh, such an important place, both uh, from movement days and from from music. For sure, people are fascinated by Mississippi. Outsiders, mm-hmm. they find it uh, abhorrent. Some people do; they think we're the worst place. But there is a fascination about Mississippi. It's kind of like. You go to the zoo and you're drawn to the snake house. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you're such a music fan. That was one of the things that I loved to, you know, when we first met and started talking and you were telling me stories of how being here in your, you know, younger days that you were able to see the stacks reviews and the sun records reviews. And you've told me you saw all those greats like in small places, which is amazing. Elvis was still with Sun Records, and he and Johnny Cash uh, came on tour through South Mississippi. I would have been 15. It was 1955. It was just before he went to RCA Victor. Johnny Cash led. Elvis opened for Johnny Cash. I I didn't get to hear the concert because – I was on the high school football team, and um, we rushed down after our game was over to the Macomb Auditorium, and we heard the last number by Johnny Cash, and uh, there were three couples of us in a car, and we uh, I grew up right on the Louisiana state line, and they had uh, booze. We had Prohibition in Mississippi. We drove down, got a jug of wine, and 
were riding around. We rode back by the auditorium an hour or so later, and the roadies were dissembling and uh, cute girls in the car, you know, said, uh, we'd like to see Johnny Cash. And they said, Johnny Cash done gone, but Elvis is here. And so we said, well, hell, we won't see Elvis too. And damned if Elvis didn't come over to the car, he would have been probably 21, I guess. And he's obviously drawn by the girls and not by us. But uh, we talked to him for a few minutes. And I remember I asked him uh, one question. Uh, Elvis, uh, did you come down in your pink Cadillac? Because he had the lyrics to one of his songs. that went something like, I may drive a pink Cadillac, but I ain't nobody's fool. And Elvis says, no, I've done wrecked that up the road, but I got a nice new yaller one. He points over at this. Cadillac DeVille with uh, uh, tail fins about 12 feet high. <laughs> and, uh, and that was what he was driving in. He autographed our arms with a red ballpoint pen. And uh, I got home that night, you know, after curfew and smelling of alcohol and uh, tried to write it off to my mother. We've been out with this famous musician <laughs> and, uh, told her Elvis Presley, and she said, well, I've never heard of him. And I showed her the autograph on my arm. She says, that's disgusting. She says, go in there and wash it off and go to bed, which I did. I never saw him again. Oh, when I hear you tell these stories, now I know that those musicians at, at some point, you know, toured elsewhere in the country, obviously, but in those days, they were mainly touring the South, the Chitlin Circuit. I mean, why Mississippi? You, you couldn't have experienced that anywhere else. Jack, there was the joint Sun Records concert in Corinth, Mississippi, at an American Legion hut. Maybe two or three hundred of us there. It cost probably a dollar to get in. Sat on the front row with my buddies, and we heard that night Johnny Cash. Carl Perkins, Roy Orbison, and the Jerry Lee Lewis all on the same bill. That's just... Uh, that would have been probably 1957. The Stax and Chess Record the concerts, they were in Memphis, and there might be 15 uh, different groups or artists do about two or three numbers. They'd go on and off, and uh, they would be segregated. And they would have a show for white people at, say, 7 o'clock, 7.30, last two hours. And we'd see Fats Domino, Little Richard, Etta James. I'm just trying to think of the people. And we would go out from our concert and in the streets of Memphis, waiting to go in for their concert, were hundreds of blacks. And we all said, God, yeah, we'd much rather go to this concert. We know it'll be better than the one we heard. And that was the great Curtis Wilkie. Coming up next, we talk with the executive chef Vish Bot about Southern food and why he chose this part of America to do his thing. And be sure to stick around for our final segment, Shake It Up, with cocktail wrangler Brad Johnson. Next up, I'm joined by the James Beard award-winning chef, Vish Bhatt. 
head chef of snack bar restaurant here in Oxford, Mississippi. You have Delta Lebanese, you have the Delta Sicilian, the African-American diaspora there, Chinese folk, the Mexican and the Central Americans who brought the tamales with them that then got incorporated into this tapestry that we call Mississippi food. Vish emigrated with his family from India to the States at the age of 17. So Vish, why Mississippi? I went to undergraduate school in Kentucky, and while I was there, my dad took a teaching job at the University of Mississippi, uh, teaching physics. I had a lot of fun in, in college, and so when it came time for graduate school, and there was never a question whether I was going to graduate school or not. It was always, where are you going to graduate school? And I realized that one of the places I could go to was the University of Mississippi. And that choice became uh, even more attractive when you know I realized that if I came here, with my father being at the university, I would get in-state tuition, which, you know, would save me a lot of money. And I could eat my mother's cooking. And that would save me even more money. So uh, That's that an was... an important, very important factor in all of that, right? Uh, yeah. So that was, that was sort of the, the initial why I came here. Uh, and I had no intentions of, of staying here. I, you know, I thought I would come here get myself right, you know, do a semester or maybe two, and then transfer out to a college that I, I preferred or to a bigger town. It's interesting to me that you, you mentioned your mom's cooking. You know, most folks, when they think about Southern food, think about soul food and collard greens and ribs and, and you know, catfish and that. Right. It's not monolithic at all. No, no even in Mississippi. Okay, well, let's, first of all, let's, let's make it clear that it doesn't exist in its current form uh, without the contributions uh, of the enslaved people, right? That's correct. first and foremost, yeah. that influence you cannot remove uh, from American food, let alone Southern food. But it's not all black and white. I mean, you have to realize that a lot of the ingredients that are here came from many different places. And we're influenced by a lot of different people. Let's just look at the Mississippi Delta, which is a you know a very small area in, in this big place that we call the South, right? In the Delta, you can go to a Sunday church supper after Sunday uh, church supper, have fried catfish, spaghetti, tamales, and spring rolls at the same dinner. I mean, kibbe is sort of you know the the national food of the Delta, if you would like. It's served everywhere. So, you know, you have Delta Lebanese, you have the Delta Sicilians, you got, of course, the African-American diaspora there. We forget that we have the Chinese folk uh, who came and who stayed. And then you have the Hispanic people, the the Mexican and the Central Americans uh, who came not recently, who stayed and who brought the tamales with them that that then got incorporated into this tapestry that we call Mississippi food. As much as we like to think that we live in a little pocket of our own and, uh, and whatever we eat is our own and it defines who we are. Food has traveled from the very beginning. And so it's always nice to do a pop-up, you know, I mean, I, we, you know, we did with the Lebanese chef and we've done with a, one with a Nigerian chef. We're looking at doing another one soon uh, with a couple of guys from, from Italy. Uh, the idea is to show that things that we eat every day and consider part of our cultural heritage have deep-rooted meaning to other folks as well. And so this is, then it starts a conversation. It's like doing the Nigerian dinner was, was great in Mississippi because the chef asked me, are you sure you want me to do, you know, like you don't want me to do stuff? I'm like, no, go as close to what you grew up with as possible. 
and let's see what comes out of it. And then let's talk about how that's been influenced. And so we, that's the conversation I love having. It's like, where are the connections? Because it's a learning process for me as well, because I always thought Okra was Indian. Right. And, uh, you know, and I, and I, I argue that it was, and you know, I almost got into a fist fight uh, with, <laughs> a, with, a, with a friend of mine from Senegal. He's like, yeah, listen, you idiot. No, Okra is African. And then now I know that, but you know, it, it took, <laughs> it took someone to sort of shake me by my car and say, take your head out of your ass. Well, it's uh, fascinating, you yeah. know, on, on so many levels because it is not just a conversation, my friend, it's a statement. It is. You know? I mean, and, I mean, that is, that is the whole point of doing what we do, isn't it? I, I agree. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's, like, it's like playing chords on a guitar, if you will. I mean, you know, it's just because, you know, the C chord is a C chord doesn't mean everybody plays it the same or makes it sound the same. That's absolutely true. And that has been my argument <laughs> against your whole I'm not an artist thing from the beginning. But jazz is not simply music it's it's a way of life Absolutely. Right? it, 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 it yeah. comes from it comes from experiences yeah. so jazz is more than art same way food is more than art and that was vish bot executive chef at snack bar here in oxford mississippi and when we return we shake it up with mixologist brad johnson behind the bar where he shares with us how to make the man of war cocktail and a paper plane this is the leisure class brought to you by newsweek i'm your host Jack Sonny. Well, it's time for the segment we call Shake It Up, a deep dive into the science, inspiration, and artistry in the making of creative craft cocktails. My co-host is Brad Johnson, a musician friend of mine with a shared passion for the good stuff and who is a cocktail wizard a true star behind the bar. Hey, Brad. Jack Sonny, how are you, my friend? I'm well. What are you shaking <laughs> up today? Tell you what I'm shaking up. I am shaking up the Man of War cocktail. Have you heard of it? Nice. Yes, I have. It's become one of my favorites, actually. You know, one of mine, too. And I'll tell you why. Yes, it has bourbon. And if it has bourbon in it, then it defaults to one of my favorites. But... For those who are shaking up something at home, it's easy ingredients that most people should have. So you got an ounce and a half of bourbon, you got a half ounce of triple sec or Cointreau, what have you, half ounce of sweet vermouth, half ounce of lemon juice, and half ounce of simple syrup. So it's like almost equal parts of everything, a half ounce of everything, and then an ounce and a half of bourbon, like shake it over ice and and dump it into a chilled Coop, and there you go. <laughs> what sounds like mine ready, sounds, brother? Let's go. <laughs> it sounds like you got one one queued up. So I love that about you. Um, I'm gonna make one. I, I just yeah, so happen to have nice. all the ingredients handy. So I'm gonna take a half ounce of this here lemon juice and dump it into my shaker because that's what we're doing. We're shaking stuff up, and then a half ounce of simple syrup. Because I like mine a little sweet. You know, if you want it a little drier, there's Cointreau in there. You, do, you don't have to have the simple syrup, you know, yeah. but I'm, we're going for it that way today. Half ounce of Cointreau. I've got uh, Kochi Storico Vermouth, sweet vermouth. And uh, you know what? I'm using what I have on hand, and that's, and that's a bottle of rye because I like rye. And that's an ounce and a half of that. 
Blasphemy. <laughs> Wait, should I go with two ounces? <laughs> yeah, well, you got to do two ounces. And the fact that you're using rye is like, I'm going to lose my Mississippi citizenship by using anything but bourbon. In yeah, well, okay, but you probably have bourbon in yours. But, yes. you know, for those who may be listening, like that's kind of, that's kind of one of the cool things about cocktails is if you're making stuff right. at home, like maybe you accidentally ran out of Kentucky sure. bourbon. Maybe. Yeah. And and you got some rye. It's 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 certainly That's not. Your fave. It's not a it's not a sin. You know, it's maybe not the traditional, but it's you're going to get some great results out of it. And you can I sub mean, in it, different things. You know, if you don't have Cointreau, maybe you have some some orange Curacao. You can hear the ice going in the background. Any of the brown liquors, you know, would work in this. You know, uh, Añejo tequila. Ooh, works in this cocktail ooh. really nicely and yeah that's, and that's the beauty of of as you and i have discussed many times you know the, the ability to mess around with the cocktails and and find what it is that you like this this recipe that you put together is the one that pretty much i use as well and take a little tweaking to find exactly what i like but yeah man that's the fun part it, Go for ex it. exactly and you know this is i was looking at like okay what is the the man of war based on you know is it because it's kind of it's kind of in the old-fashioned family but when you start adding juice to it you're starting to take it into a different realm it's actually really more aligned with a, a sidecar yeah. it's because you got the juice you got some some cointreau you've got your your base spirit in there and a modifier of some sweet vermouth i think it's in the sidecar family i'm sure there's some experts out there that would probably <laughs> disagree with me out there who knows i don't know I can tell you how I, I, you know, discovered this thing because I opened up my cabinet and realized that I had bourbon, orange liqueur, and a vermouth. And, and that was about it. And I was like, like, oh, what am I going to do, do with this? this? And it, you know, Googled up a recipe and the man of war came up. Yeah. Get to it. Shaking it. Nice and cool, Jack. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> oh. You got yours poured up, brother? Because I'm, I'm. I do. I just garnished it with a little uh, lemon twist, and uh, we're ready for a cheers. Okay, so I'm having mine on the rocks. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> There's no sin in that. Nope. <laughs> All right. Uh -huh. Here's looking at you, brother. <laughs> cheers. Ah. <clears throat> it is a it's a good cocktail, man. And that's Brad Johnson, friends and neighbors, for our first edition of Shake It Up. I would like to thank Brad, Curtis Wookie, Vishbot for being our guests. You know, the South is a magic place filled with amazing people, talented artists of all stripes. And I'm so happy to share it with you right here. Also, be sure to give us your five-star ratings if you like what you hear. It helps our show grow. Welcome to the Leisure Class with me, Jack Sonny. Brought to you by Newsweek. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.